Welcome to the Doodle Kisses podcast, an extension of doodlekisses.com. I'm your host, Adina Pearson. Doodlekisses.com is the social network for Labradoodle and Golden Doodle owners, wannabe owners, and the Doodle Curious. The goal of this podcast is to provide education, entertainment, and connect with our Doodle Kisses members on the topic of Labradoodles, Golden Doodles, and dogs in general. Welcome, Carrie. Well, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. For those listening, we had quite the technological, I don't know what it was. We could not connect with audio, but we're here now. Carrie's here. And Carrie, can you pronounce your last name for me? Yes, it's Woodell, W-O-O-D-D-E-L-L. It's a tricky one. Yeah, yeah. So Carrie, tell me what you do with dogs. I've been training dogs for almost 20 years now, Um, started just like pet obedience and then started getting interested in like competition stuff, mainly Mondio ring. And then after I had my two kids, um, what ended up happening was I created that dogs to diapers online course and I'm not doing sport dogs anymore. Uh, Now I'm back into doing just like pet and reliable obedience and breeding laps. Breeding Labradors, nice. So our audience is primarily pet dog owners, specifically doodle owners. So poodle mixes of some kind, some of them with lab. (laughs) Tell me how, tell me your dog story. How did you get started in dogs originally? Did you grow up with them? Were you the kid who was begging your parents for them, but didn't get one? Tell me the (laughs) the back end when you were since childhood. (laughs) Since childhood. Well, my father was actually a canine officer. So I would say that I was practically raised like around dogs in some form. Um, I got into dogs myself right around like 18, 20. Uh, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do as a profession. So I took a personality test and the test said I should be a sign language interpreter. Wow. That's very specific. (laughs) Yeah. I was like, okay, well, that's what it is. I'm going to go do sign language interpreting. And I started towards my AS and what ended up happening is the last semester we had to do contact hours in the community and I got in with it's, it's like a guide dog for deaf clients. And I was the translator between the client and the trainer and, you know, being around dogs in my past with my dad, it was, it was like, I just connected. Everything made sense. I love dog training. I wanted to be a dog trainer and I jumped ship. Awesome. That's really neat. I love interesting ways into dog training like that. And so as you got into dog training, did you find like, wow, I'm a natural. (laughs) This is totally going to be my career. And I ask you this from a personal standpoint, because I've, I've trained several of my pet dogs, not to solid obedience. I'm not, I wasn't that good. I, you know, learned more every time. And now I'm on my third dog and he's a year and we were doing so well. And then things started crumbling. So right now I'm in a period where I'm like, I suck. I should never do this again. And I need to take a break. (laughs) So I need to take a break, regroup, and then start again. So how was that for you? Because a lot, just from the perspective of the average pet owner, like you might go to a class, you might watch YouTube and try a few things and you might give up after a while. So how did you, what was your progression from like, okay, this is interesting. I'm learning to like, wow, I have a knack. Or I can more than just, you know, teach a sit. Yeah, it's it's inter it is an interesting journey when you, you know, when I try to go back because I can tell you when I first started opening my business and you know, I was involved with a little bit more of the hearing dogs, 
I mean, I was just excited and I was passionate and I was going to figure it out no matter what way it was. I look back at myself as a trainer then and like who I am now. And of course, we all start pretty naive. (laughs) And the beauty of this field is like you're always evolving as a dog trainer. And I'm still learning. I still want to get challenged. I still have those dogs that make you think outside of the box. It's like information overload now for the average pet person because you know, you Google something or you YouTube something. And next thing you know, you're throwing a few different methods towards the dog and then you're getting frustrated. And I'm sure the dog's just as frustrated as well. You know, back when I started, you know, my dad being a canine officer, that they had like their way of training, but it, it wasn't necessarily my way. You, you, I don't want to say you experiment. I, I mean, you do whatever the dog needs you to do. And you just, you keep figuring it out as you go. And now fast forward to almost 20 years later, it's, you know, I, I just train dogs. I mean, it's almost like I barely have to think. And when I do have to think, I really appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. It keeps you on your toes. It's more than just this rote thing that you do. And that's yeah, it's, it's a feeling. It's a connection between you and the dog. It's a trust. It shouldn't, you know, if, if the dog's confused or, or something, you know, you, you got to take a step, few steps back. And, and my advice would be, you know, you got to pick somebody you're comfortable with, the methods that you're comfortable with and stick with it. Don't keep changing every time you think something's not going the way it should be. Yeah. Well, today in the general culture of dog training, like what is popular is all positive, or at least that's what gets, and I don't know where you are on the spectrum, you know, in terms of like corrections, all positive, um, balanced. How would you describe your general philosophy? I train the dog that's in front of me. Um, I've been doing it long enough where I'm very familiar and comfortable with all the training tools out there. It doesn't necessarily mean every dog needs those training tools. Every dog has a different uh, idea of like what motivates them. Correction, adding in correction um, creates reliability within your obedience because you are going to get to a point where the dog doesn't want to come for your treat. The dog would rather roll in a pile of duck poop and what are you going to do? So if you want reliability, you are going to, the dog has to have a consequence for not doing. Now, what that dog's consequence is solely individual of the dog. Mm-hmm. That is my my viewpoint. I don't come out of the gate and treat every dog like it's the same. I also take into consideration the breed of dog, the personality, their genetics, because that is great information to help you know how that dog learns the best. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, the way I'm hearing you, it sounds like you would be classified as a balanced trainer. You're not afraid to like provide the dog motivation on both ends. <laughs> sure, sure. And, and you know, these classifications that, you know, they get kind of, they get silly themselves. Label. You know? that keep you <laughs> Label. Yeah. Yeah. Labely, labeling. But um, would I rather correct my dog with a collar than have a car correct a dog? Absolutely. Um, you know, would I, you know, balance reward and motivation, you know, with a dog that needs more of that? And would I veer that side more dependent on the dog and the picture I'm trying to go for and the goal? Absolutely. You know, so, so again, I just train the dog in front of me and I'm familiar with every tool that I'm using and the psychology behind the tool. What would you recommend to pet owners, especially let's say Labradoodle and Golden Doodle owners? They're the most common type. Um, knowing labs as you do and goldens are, you know, common. 
um, and standard poodles, what would you recommend when such pet owners are looking for a trainer? Because there's so many different ones available. What would you say? Like, hey, you're looking for a trainer. When do you start looking and what are you looking for? Right. Uh, I mean, that's a, that's a big one. It's a, it's a huge trust thing. And I didn't understand the dynamic of that trust until after I had kids and I started looking for, you know, like a half day school for my kids to go to. Um, my advice is, is like, I don't care what your website looks like. I don't care who the person answering the phone sounds like, like you go there, you ask the appropriate questions, you get a feeling, you get a vibe for not only the place, but walking through the tour, how they run their facility. And I predominantly do full service training, which is like board and trains. So that's where the dog comes here and stays with me. You know, there's different training packages out there, everything from sending your dog to doing in-home lessons or group lessons, right? You have to do and be honest with yourself about how consistent that you can follow through with what you're doing. For me, doing the boarding trains, same when I was interviewing the daycares, you know, I walked into a few places and I'm like, this is nuts. I mean, the TVs are on, there's no structure here. How is this a uh, learning environment? And I know like when I compare my facility, it's like, this is a dog Montessori school. Everything is set up for the learning of the dogs is, for, is set up for them to be the most successful to, to receive the information. And then I am predominantly a training facility. So any dog that's in the building, even if they're for boarding, I've trained them so they can be useful for helping the dog coming up in training. Uh, you know, people have to do their research, of course, and, you know, reviews speak volumes. Yes, they do. But like I, you know, myself have a video library of over like 1200 dogs I've trained. So when someone says, I have a Connie Corso, I'm like, here, here's a playlist of 15. This is what you can expect from the training. It's very different though, you know, when people are trying to do in-home training or group lessons because all the responsibility falls on the owner. Right. Right. You, you either, you're either consistent and everyone in the family's on board or you're just frustrating yourself and you're frustrating the dog. And with board and train, I hear more and more people, you know, wanting, I don't have the time to train my dog. So I'm going to, I found this one place and I'm, they're going to go there for two weeks or three weeks or five weeks. What can people expect when that dog is done with the training program? How much work, you know, what is it like, at least for your clients? In my program, we have three transition lessons before the dog physically goes home. That's very different to a lot of, you know, programs that sometimes they're like, okay, you come, you get a two hour lesson, you go home. The, the client, it's a crash course and there's no way that client's going to uh, retain that level of information for a smooth transition. What I expect from my clients on the back end is reinforce the training that took place here because dogs learn in pictures. So because they're sitting at my door or because they, you know, do a two hour place, you know, in our backyard, you have to transfer the picture for the dog to be successful. It is my job to train the dog. It is the owner's job to handle a trained dog. And, you know, everyone always thinks, well, the dog's going to listen to you better, or it's not, you know, if you don't train your dog yourself, then the dog's not going to listen. I don't have that experience at all, especially because I'm so thorough with the three go home lessons. Now, if the owner gets the dog back and they ask very minimal of the dog, 
well, okay, of course, dogs are opportunists and dogs can easily revert back to old jobs that were reinforcing. If you, it's like going on a diet, right? You don't diet for one meal. It's a lifestyle change. When you enter the trained dog back into the home environment, you have an expectation. And especially when they're seeing these progression videos of how well trained this dog is, I don't ever have a a client who does not reinforce any of the training. Sometimes people get laxed, a behavior will pop up again, and they'll pop in, do a group lesson, we tighten everything back up. I say to the owner, like, hey, this is a dog that needs more structure. You're you're having him function as an entrepreneur and he makes a horrible you know, decisions as an entrepreneur. You have to change your not your, you know, they can't change who they are, but you need to, you know, provide more structure so the dog is successful. Yeah. Yeah. Because training is not like programming a computer where the dog is now complete. The house has been painted. You don't have to touch it again for 10 years. Mm -hmm. You like sports, right? If there's an athlete and he stops playing, he's going to be rusty. And so the whole point of training is so you have these commands you can use, right? You can call your dog, do your dog and do all these other things. Right. And, And it's also just showing the dog it's not just about obedience. That's what people miss is they just think it's, you know, heel, sit down, stay calm in place. It's so much deeper. If you want to have a deeper relationship with their dog, you're going to look up who they are, what breed they are, what do they thrive in within their breed. And you're going to want to do that for them because you love them that much, right? Mm-hmm. You have a basset hound. Well, if he loves to stick his nose to the ground, you know, stop fighting it in the heel. You can provide, you know, laying tracks, hiding toys for him. Uh, Once a dog is like, wow, my owner really respects who I am. It deepens the relationship because you're doing what the dog would do naturally instead of fighting mother nature. Then your obedience is easy because you guys have like this common language between each other. Definitely. It is more than, more than the commands. So I want to transition to kids and dogs because that is the whole reason I asked you here. I love what you're doing with the dogs to diapers website and program. And I want to hear more about it. And I really liked looking through the myths. So Carrie has a whole program for people who are going to have a baby to know how to transition if they already have dogs. I have two kids. And when the first, after the first one was born, we did this thing that I think might be on your myth myth page where my husband brought home the baby's hat from the hospital. But interestingly, every single dog responded to the hat exactly like they responded to the baby. So my senior border collie who couldn't care less, gave it a quick sniff and walked away. The four-year-old Labradoodle who is very like energetic and bouncy and like just boisterous, she licked the cap, like sniff, 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 licked it, looked, seemed really excited. And then my three-year-old Labradoodle, who had more like a, was really laid back and lazy, he sniffed for a while and then was done. And when the baby came, they all like did the same thing to the baby, which I thought was hilarious. And, and they were all, except for the border collie, because she was old and didn't like things bothering her at that point. They were all super, super, all my dogs have been so, I've been lucky that they've been so tolerant. Nothing bothered them. They're unflappable. Like you know, some things that maybe I shouldn't have let the baby do near the dog, they couldn't care less. So I got really lucky, but that's not every family and not every dog is ready for that. So give me a summary of some of the 
potential pitfalls, or even if we, if you think it would be helpful to go over maybe the top myths about bringing home a baby when you already have dogs. Okay. And so I want to preference this by saying, you know, dogs to diapers to me, when I created the project, I, I mean, I was competing with working dogs at that point that were protection trained. Uh, I was doing what any new mom does and just researching and seeing what information is out there. And the third thing that happened that really ignited the passion for this is I got attacked really bad by a, a pet dog, an owner's pet dog. Mm. And it, it was right a month before I found out I was pregnant. And I said, if this dog would have bitten a kid, that it would have been, I mean, traumatic, tragic, every word you want to say, right? And I was like, okay, I'm a dog trainer, but now I'm going to be a mom. And I owe it. I felt like this passion that I wanted to educate people out there because statistics are continuing to rise around this issue. Um, people go into it, you know, just thinking my dog loves me. I love my dog. My dog's a sweetheart. This could never happen to me. Therefore, like, even if someone suggests I should prepare the dog, it's almost like they dismiss it. The same as if you open up the newspaper and there's a horrible story that happens to a kid, you just can't even stomach to read it, right? The majority of the dogs out there raised with kids, you know what, they're going to be okay. Um, you might have a dog that nips a kid when it starts, you know, really like pushing the dog's threshold. But, you know, it's at that point, of course, that's extremely alarming, but you're not going to have like maulings or like, you know, traumatic injuries and things like that. But as a dog trainer, when you're in the field, you know what dogs are capable of doing. You see it, you get the phone calls, you get the Google reminders of every time there is a bite or an attack on a kid. Of course, I'm now to the other side of it where I'm so cautious, right? I want to over-inform, but I think it, it does scare the average expecting family who's looking at their doodle like, okay, you know, this, this isn't going to happen. Worst thing that's going to happen, you're going to knock the baby over, right? Mm -hmm. So that's, that's what, how I want to preference it is like the majority of everything is going to be okay, but we still owe it to our dogs to prepare them. As much as you prepare siblings for each other, this is a huge change within your household. We love our pets. We don't want them to be stressed. We don't want them to be jealous. Um, we want everything to be organic when we bring an infant home. I've created the online course uh, to give the dog a job and a purpose when a new baby comes because they need dogs thrive when they have purpose. That was my number one goal. Of course, well, I say my number one goal is the safety, the safety of the infant and making sure this dog isn't going to get rehomed. The number two goal is just giving the dog another purpose, giving the dog something else to do that includes it better with the family. And number three is so all kids can have the memories of being raised with dogs. I have them with my dad's canines. Every kid deserves that. They don't deserve to be like, oh yeah, the family dog it bit us all the time. Oh you know, you can touch its water bowl, you know, those, that stinks. That's not what, yeah. what raising with kids, you know, when we talk about like what you said, like the most common myths, I would say the most common is people think that they don't need to prepare the dog. The dog is just expected to acclimate to the changes, not be stressed, not pushed over threshold and just accept the baby and love it and lick it. And it's, that's the number one myth. Because even like we said, in the rare chances of a very bad incident happen, and a lot of times for education purposes, 
This happens in the first three months of an infant being born because that is when a dog does not perceive them as a human. They are moving weird. They have a piercing cry to alarm the mom. They um, have that, that startle reflex. All of these are predatory indicators for a, a dog. So that is your might to me, um, the biggest window of caution is the first three months. I mean, you're cautious throughout life with kids and dogs, but that's a very high one. Going to, you know, other myths such as like the article of clothing and, you know, that, that everybody does it. I say it during the online course. I was in the hospital and the nurse asked me if I wanted her to put the hat in a Ziploc to introduce the dogs to. Uh-huh. And I think I'm the only person who questioned this. And here is my question is, what if I just went and just took some random person off the street sock and <laughs> showed it to the dog? They'd be like, hmm, that smells neat. <laughs> They'd be like, all right, cool. I don't know if they perceive it as a threat. I don't know if they're like, wow, I really want to meet this person. We are assuming that they're having a positive association with the odor when we have no data to back that up. Mm-hmm. Now, do they correlate the smell again? And be like, oh, okay, maybe I, whoa, that was a little familiar. Possibly they could, but are we still leaving it to chance if they associate it with good or bad? Yeah, I don't know. It's unknown. Well, in order for me to move forward with that and say what makes what makes sense from the dog training perspective is for me to take the article of clothing and pair it with something that the dog does have a positive association with my odor, my husband's odor, their favorite toy, right? Mm -hmm. Then I can say, I know I get a response in the dog from this odor in a positive way. So, hey, I'm going to go ahead and add this infant's smell to it as well to get the highest probability of a positive association. Yeah, that makes sense. Like you could rub the baby's hat on you or a toy and the baby's thing. Is that what you're saying? Exactly. I wanted to ask, dive back into what you said about purpose. I think that's so important and it's not always obvious, I think, to the average pet owner what that means, especially I would say from being in the world of doodles, doodles are attractive to people because they're cute. They look like teddy bears and on Instagram, they're posed, right? So they look even more like teddy bears. Like that is their purpose is to be a cuddle companion for people to be sweet and cute and cuddly and be on the couch and play. Like that is, I think a lot of times what people look for in a doodle, sometimes forgetting they come from working breeds. They come from a Labrador with energy and a desire to, you know, retrieve possibly or chase things. They come from a golden retriever or a standard poodle, also high energy and a retrieving type breed. And now there's sheep a doodles and burn a doodles and newfie poos and you know, you name yeah. it. I would say that's because the poodle makes everything better. <laughs> but <laughs> I have a poodle now. Um, but there's, you know, a dog's purpose has to be more than your personal emotional support animal that you can pet and snuggle with. Like the fact that your puppy isn't super snuggly right away doesn't mean your dog is broken. That's not its purpose. So talk to us a little bit about when you say purpose, what does that mean? And give us some examples in general, and then we can tie it back to like, you know, the kind of purposes you're thinking in terms of when a baby comes home. Purpose to me, um, 
is recognizing, yes, the mixture of the doodle that you have. And you, you've made, you named some pretty strong working dogs, like a Bernice mountain dog, the stamina on them, uh, the intelligence. I mean, you could just go down that entire list. Uh, me breeding labs, they require a certain element of not only physical stimulation, but mental stimulation. Purpose is when you are fulfilling the needs of the dog, not only in a physical matter, so running, biking, playing with other dogs, playing ball, but in a mental way, like a mental meaning if me and you sat down and played chess right now, we would probably be pretty exhausted. Or if we studied calculus, that would exhaust us. Mentally stimulating these dogs is almost more important to me than the physical stimulation. If they are not challenged, they are going to be bored. They're going to revert back to who they are and what reinforces them and what the purpose of their breed is. And that is where a lot of conflict happens with the average pet person is they are like, I am biking, I am running, I am doing all this. And this dog is still destructive and it's yeah. still hyper. And I'm dropping it off to daycare five days a week. And I'm like, great, you're feeding the beast. You, you're never going to fully physically satisfy your Bernice mountain dog, right? Who can endure hours and hours and hours. And you're just making it stronger. <laughs> you are, you are making it stronger. You are, are creating a machine, so to say, with uh, as far as that athletic stance goes. Now, when we give purpose um, within mental stimulation, that means you have impulse control, you have your obedience training, you can have your interactive toys where maybe they work for their kibble. Those are all positive, constructive ways. You could also go to the root of the dog and say, okay, you're a retriever. Well, you naturally like to retrieve. Let me make sure you're getting that outlet. I agree with you. Poodles are ridiculously intelligent. We use them all the time for hearing dogs because they are just, I mean, they're so aware and they're so connected to you. But like when you have a super, super smart dog like that, if you don't challenge them, they, they just create jobs. And that's the own. thing. Yeah. I think that's the thing when, when people are concerned that their dog is destroying things or doing all this naughty stuff and bugging them and like pulling their blanket off and just busy, busy, busy. They think, like you said, like, I just need to run them more when really it might be that they need a, that purpose. They need a job to do because that's what their genes tell them. They need something to do. And if they don't, if you don't provide it for them, they're going to find it and it's going to be digging or destroying trash or, you know, yeah. doing all sorts of things that you don't want in a pet dog. And that's often the, the, what the behind the scenes is they need something. They need you to lead them as, as a dog. As it are, and a, another common mistake that I see is that um, the dog becomes more engaged with everything in the environment than it does with its own owner because the owner is relying on, okay, I'm going to go for a walk and then the dog's going to meet this dog and this person's going to pet it and you know it's going to chase this squirrel up the tree. So you're pretty much convincing the dog like everything else on this earth is fun and exciting. You know, I'm just kind of here. And that's not the sole purpose of a relationship with a dog. A dog wants to please and, and wants that healthy leadership of knowing like that's my person and I want to uh, almost like work through them. Yeah, I love that. Purpose is important. So talk to us a little bit more about the myths. Like you can, you know, just straight from your list of 12, what would you say are, you know, the next important ones? 
or common. Yeah. And, and, and just to tie one more thing in with the purpose of now the baby is in the picture. Oh, yeah. When you have a dog that is just active and social, you know, just think every time that baby cries and everyone in the household gets up to start tending to the baby, what's the dog going to do? Get up and tend to the baby. You don't want the dog's purpose to become the baby. <laughs> you, yeah. you see where that gets a little complicated? Uh-huh. Um, and I see it all the time. Like you want the dog to have an understanding of where it fits into the family. Like the dog's used to going on walks with you. Well, now you have a stroller involved in the picture. You better show the dog the picture of the stroller before the baby's in it, or the dog's not really going to understand what you're asking it to do. These are things that you can be proactive about before the baby comes instead of waiting until you're in a situation where the baby's nine months old moving from that crawling stage to the wobbly walking stage. And now the dog is almost feeling threatened by this thing that used to not really do much. So giving the dog the purpose through the different stages of the baby's development is just because we love our dogs and we want what's best for them and we don't want them to be stressed. So the, the myth, oh, I, okay, I, you got to remind me of a few. I know that there's a myth out there that once the dog tastes blood, that they are just a killer. <laughs> I remember that one, like growing up. I think, you know, I, I haven't heard that in a while, but yeah, it's out there. It's still out there. It's still out there. It's more like in our parents' generations of like, don't feed them raw meat. They're going to <laughs> taste blood. Or, you know, same thing like with, with when we're talking about babies. And, um, you know, the, I think the most important fact around that is if your dog has nipped at your child. It's not so much about them tasting blood. It's about they tried a behavior that most likely worked to stop the baby from continuing to stress them. Right. That is the bigger fear is they've explored now with with a behavior that you can't risk it when you're talking about kids, especially that tiny of kids. That's how I would answer that myth. Um, I don't believe, you know, feeding raw food and things like that is going to make the dog a predatory, you know, in, in the sense of, you know, gearing in on the kid because they eat raw meat. Right. Right. Yeah. That should be a difference. Then everything they smell is potential for more meat and it doesn't <laughs> work that way. No, they're not vampires. <laughs> Some other myths, how the people introduce the baby, you know, if I just bring the baby in and just let the dogs run up to it and just sniff it almost I don't like it. It doesn't, you're giving the dog too much freedom and we need to put more boundaries in to play around this baby. Because even again, if it's not an aggressive dog running up, it's more just, you know, you don't want the dog thinking that it's any sort of a toy or it can step on the baby hurt the baby, lick, you know, you don't want it licking all over the baby, especially just the day one coming home from the hospital. Mm-hmm. That's another big misconception about the proper way to introduce them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it should be gradual. It should be gradual and there should always be boundaries. Like you guys are not sharing sofas. You're not sharing beds. Dogs are not in the nursery room. You have to instill such strong boundaries for both parties, the, the baby and the dog. Yeah. What about floor time together? I mean, maybe verse, the first three months versus when the babies can sit up. Like, how do you manage that? Because it's cute and we want pictures. <laughs> <laughs> 
this is where, you know, I tread carefully because, you know, the dog training side and the experience side of this and the project, I mean, being transparent, this was probably one of the hardest projects I've ever taken on, especially because of my love and my passion for dogs to be able to look at them and say, I can't believe you could do that. But then it's also been like, it's a reality of, you know, these are predatory animals. And the irony is like, what? Thousands of years ago, we build villages to protect ourselves from predatory animals. And now we expect them to sleep with our kids on the bed. <laughs> I mean, it is, you know, it's, it's a little humorous in some sense, but, you know, again, like I do, I'm not, it's not a fear tactic. It's, it's just to me, it's not worth the risk of putting, having them both be on the floor, leaving for a minute. And, you know, the baby is, is going through the stage of the pinch and hold oh, yeah. and grabs a hold of that dog, grabs a hold of that doodle, the fluffy doodle that feels like a teddy bear. And the dog, it just turns around and nip. It's not worth the risk to me. Mm-hmm. Everybody has their different comfort level. Everybody knows their dog and they should know inside and out personality, training, quirks. Um, it's like getting to know a person. You should know your dog on those levels. Anything, any person can be pushed past threshold. I mean, you, you leave your toddler with grandma too long, you know, <laughs> everybody has a threshold. Yeah, absolutely. Dogs do too. Dogs do too. So when did it become this expectation that we've put upon the dog that they are just to endure all of this? Even the best natured dog, it's then it gets to a point where you almost feel like it's not fair. And in some cases, I've you know, with clients, I'm like, you're torturing the poor dog. Yeah. So it's interesting. It's interesting. How can people tell? So if, if you're a new dog owner and you haven't had one before and you've got this fuzzy face doodle and you've got a baby and you trust your dog, it's been around kids, the tail's wagging, right? <laughs> what, what are some signs that you can describe verbally for like to notice if a dog might not be super comfortable because I don't think everybody really knows. They know their dog, but they may not know dog. They may not know some of the subtle cues that a dog is giving that, gosh, you know, I'm tolerating this, but it's not, it doesn't feel good. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the biggest body language cue that people misinterpret is licking, Mm -hmm. is licking. um, Licking of the other person or licking their own lips? Like licking their own lips or licking sometimes like the kid's hand or the person's hand, right? Mm-hmm. That to me uh, is could be fall into the category where you have your avoidant displacement behaviors. Um, avoidance is, you know, the dog is clearly trying to remove itself. Displacement behaviors, behaviors the dog would normally do, but they do it out of context. Like, you know, she didn't, the dog didn't just drink a bowl of water. So it's licking the lips to get the water off. Like right. it's out of context. A lot of people are like, oh, look, it's, it's licking, it's licking. It loves the baby. It likes this. It, whatever. But the dog could be doing it more in an appeasement way of just trying to, you know, dogs are like, hey, I just don't want problem. I don't want conflict. Turning of the head anytime the dog's getting up and moving away. Mm-hmm. Those are times you just need to respect. You know, the dog's laying on the bed, the toddler's crawling towards it. You know, you could see the dog kind of swinging its head side to side, gets up, avoids the baby. Well, don't let the baby just keep chasing the dog all around the house. Put the dog into a room or throw a baby gate up. You know, yeah. give it, give it re- the respect so that it doesn't have to correct the child because nobody else is paying attention to what the dog is trying to tell everybody. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you, you know, uh, I have these labs now and I watch my daughters with them. And there's times I intervene where I'm like, guys, leave, leave, just leave the dog alone. She just wants to sleep, leave them alone. And that's me being a diligent dog trainer, not, you know, being uh, just a, a busy mom who's multitasking, cooking dinner and doing all that, you're going to miss a lot of these cues. Mm-hmm. So licking, um, head t- turning, you have, you know, pupils, you watch the pupils. If they're, if the dog is looking stressed, if the dog looks as though they're trying to get away, they want a safe spot. Any household that has kids, the dog needs a safe spot. Mm-hmm. I, there's times I go into my room and I just shut the door from around like, Oh, please. Like bedtimes in two hours, I've got this, you know? So yeah. how could the dog not feel that? Yeah. There's a certain look to a relaxed dog that I think maybe if people really study those pictures, like just kind of hanging out relaxed and that the smile, that's not a grin, <laughs> you know, it's just like, ah, uh, you know, after a hard place yeah. mission, their ears are relaxed. Everything's relaxed. There's a certain look to that. And I think if you get to know that really well, you can tell those other like stiffer, stiffer signs because it's not always going to be a howl or, you know, teeth bearing. And by the time it gets to the growl and the teeth bearing part, that's a hard place for me as a trainer, because now this dog has clearly drawn boundaries and explored with behaviors. Mm -hmm. Be proactive. We don't, we don't live in a proactive society when it comes to stuff with this dog training and especially around kids and babies. They call and contact when the growl and the first nip has happened or even the stitch. Yeah. And it's, it's a hard place for me to walk into because the dog at this point has associated that child in a certain way. And now not only do we need to rebuild the relationship, but we also have to look at the big picture of is this a safe environment now for the child? And, and sometimes even the dog, because like I said before, in some cases, like this poor dog is tortured and finally is like enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, it makes sense for a dog to have some boundaries and to want to move. My senior Labradoodle is the most tolerant dog, like across the board with animals and kids. I, unless someday she's in great pain when she's even older, I can't imagine her ever snapping at someone or a dog. So we went, we took her to a friend's house and they happened to have a female Rottweiler. We'd never met her before we went there. And that Rottweiler was horrible. Just like, didn't attack like to break skin or anything, but just, it was ugly. And Boca just would walk away. She would, if the Rottweiler started coming near her, she would just keep walking. Like never, it took like a lot of interaction before Boca said anything that she was annoyed. And when I got our puppy, she was 10 years old. And I thought, oh, it's a good age. She still has enough energy to play if she wants. And the puppy will be little so she can teach it its place while it's little. Well, she never did. <laughs> so this, yeah, my puppy still likes to terrorize her in a playful way, but too much, right? So I always have to help her have an out, put a gate that she can walk through or like, you know, close keep him on leash, you know, remove him if he's trying to get too overbearing. Because there are some dogs that will be just tortured, but not do anything either. And even if they don't do anything, that doesn't mean the child should torture the dog. Right. Agreed. And when you're talking about a senior dog too, normally as they age, their tolerance does get decrease. Yeah. Just like people. Yeah, just like people. But it sounds like, yeah, you're, that's the perfect dog to raise your kids with. It is. Yeah, she was, she and my daughter are almost the same age. 
Right. And the harder cases are when you, before the kid even comes, you have a dog that might be a little bit more nervy or fearful or has explored with some of these growling, nipping, biting, lunging behaviors. And those are the people that, you know, especially you want to do as much training beforehand, preparation training. Yeah, absolutely. And what about like puppies and little kids versus adult dogs and little kids? It's tough with the puppies because like you described when you brought in your puppy, I mean, they're puppies. They express themselves through their teeth, they're teething, they were coming out of a litter with brothers and sisters who they roughhouse with. Their teeth are like needles oh. and right. They're not going to have that bite inhibition, you know, towards like, Oh, this is a, a little fragile human here. You know, they're just going to be puppies. I, I have clients who sometimes will get a puppy when they have a newborn. First off, I'm like, how are you doing this? Like, obviously your newborn sleeps because mine <laughs> didn't. <laughs> I, I can't even fathom it. I, I can't, but some people do it. Um, I say this is, this is based on me raising my daughter with a, a puppy that when the, my daughter turned two, that was a really cool time to bring in an eight week puppy. It was fun. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it was fun because, you know, puppies, they work in like impulses of they have a ton of energy. They have the puppy zoomies, but then they like chill and relax. And now, my daughter Penelope and the dog's name is Tessa. They have the coolest relationship. It's uh, it was it's fun to watch. I could not have imagined bringing in a puppy before Penelope was two years old. Couldn't imagine. There's so much time and effort and constant eyes on that puppy. I, yes, <laughs> people do it sometimes, but I yeah they have to all have, the power to them. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I could not. Well, Carrie, is there anything else that you think is super important when it comes to bringing in a baby when you already have a dog we haven't covered yet? I guess my only, you know, other advice and experience of, you know, doing this project now for the last seven, almost eight years with the dogs to diapers specifically towards kids and babies or kids and dogs, uh, when you rescue a dog. You have to be cautious of the term kid friendly Mm. because people throw that term around very lightly. Kid friendly is not enough for me to know that the dog is going to be safe with my kids. So you need to make sure that you, the dog is, uh, you're getting to know the dog, you're earning their trust, you're making sure that the kids have rules and boundaries around the dog to create the safest environment that you can. That would be my last bit of advice. I mean, of course, I advocate for, you know, rescuing dogs, but you need, if you have young kids, and I'm talking five and under kids, you have an extra responsibility to your family to really understand the um, history of the dog. If they were raised with kids or if they just went to a park and got petted by three kids once, that's a very, very different scenario being 24 hours with toddlers is very different than sitting on a park corner and getting pet by some kids for five minutes. That's my last advice. Yeah, absolutely. Because kid friendly could mean just that they haven't bitten a kid yet. (laughs) And they seemed nothing happened (laughs) in the foster home. But who knows? I know the big doodle rescues, um, iDog Rescue and Doodle Rescue Collective. Well, iDog has, it's not precise, but they often will set minimum age ranges that are, you know, six or older, eight or older. And I know Doodle Rescue Collective, 
I don't think they adopt out to anyone with kids under 10 ever under any circumstances, just because they feel like the dog is the most important thing and they need to be set up to succeed. That's very responsible. And, and I commend that because so many times families go in with the best intentions. They have young kids and they want to rescue. Mm-hmm. And then they're devastated when something happens. And what ends up happening is we didn't truly know the dog. And it's not fair to the dog either. It's, it goes both ways. So that's awesome, though, to hear that those doodle rescues put those age requirements. I wish all rescues did. Yeah, I agree. Totally. Because sometimes the only reason for the requirement is, oh, the dog is big and might knock over a small child. (laughs) But that's okay. Yeah. But there's not, they don't think about like, well, maybe there's other reasons not to, you know, adopt a young. And and I understand that families with little kids feel discriminated against and that, you know, why not? My kids are dog savvy. I'm a good parent. It's, and it's not personal. It's just that their job, their client is the dog and their goal is always how do I make sure this dog is never rehomed again? Well, the chances of a household with kids rehoming this dog is way higher. Even a household with young couple that might have kids. It just, nobody's prepared for what it's like to have kids until you have them. And those kids are going to be your top priority. And if suddenly you don't have time, you might rehome that dog again. So it's for the best interest of the dog. It's not judging you, you know, if you're listening with young kids or planning to have kids. It's not personal. Mm-hmm. So well said. Yeah. So finally, tell me what are maybe your top three rules for kids when of what you teach your kids or you teach clients kids on how to interact and how not to interact with the dog? First off, that everybody's kids have a different maturity level to know when you can put that responsibility on them. Because at the end of the day, if the kid doesn't follow the boundaries and the rules, it wouldn't be right to say, well, you know, the dog corrected you so for because you didn't respect that the dog didn't want you to lay on them. It's never the kid's fault. It's always us as the parent. When I started giving more liberties to Penelope, she was probably five. She was five. Uh, she, she helped with responsibilities such as like feeding, brushing. She likes to hold the leash when we go on walks. So the dog already had seen her in a different like, hey, this isn't just a play pal that I roll around on the floor with. Like she would ask her to sit and give her a treat. Those are always fun things. Rules for kids. I mean, let's keep this over the age of five. And, you know, with, with the idea that this is a pretty mature child, mm-hmm. uh, it, it would be feeding responsibilities. It would be obedience overlooked, like for treats, always, you know, reward based. You sit, you get a treat, you go on your place, you can get a treat. Uh, making sure, of course, the dog doesn't have any issues whatsoever with like resources such as treats. So there would never be a conflict over that. I love to teach and I taught this when they were actually younger, they would do t-ball. If you have like these doodles, some of them love to retrieve. So get a t-ball set and um, have your toddler or whatnot hit the ball with the bat. The dog runs, gets the ball, brings it back. You put another ball on the t-ball stand. Any constructive activity that isn't putting stress on the dog, like just sitting there and expected to be petted the entire time. Those are things that I encourage families to do with kids towards the dog. Mm -hmm. Yeah. One thing that I 
think is important is for any parents of young kids whose kids are really into dogs that they see out in public is not only to teach them to ask before petting, but hold that child's hands if they're little enough so they don't just run to the dog and then say, can I pet your dog? And I'm thinking of specific scenarios that I've experienced in public and my dogs are friendly. They wouldn't snap at a child, but I was at the park training my senior, just working her and the mom and a grandpa had this little kid that was, I don't know, between two and four, something like that. And they're like, and I could tell they were talking about coming to pet my dog amongst themselves. And the mom was like, ask first. And this little kid came within like a foot or less as he was asking. Right. And so I'm like, teach your kids to ask, but also (laughs) don't let them run up. (laughs) Yeah. I, so I'm going to hear, I, I have to disagree solely on really? allow, oh my goodness, of allowing, here's why. Uh-huh. Here you are and you're putting all your eggs in the basket that the person who's holding that leash knows that dog fully, is willing to put the dog in the situation where they are on leash. So therefore, you know, where do they have to go if they are uncomfortable and they don't want it to happen? And I can just, I just see it going wrong in so many ways because the majority of kids get bit on their face because they're at the same level of the dog on the face, right? I don't, if my daughters see a dog in public, I have taught them now, we never pet anybody else's dog okay. who we I'm don't cool know. with that. Yeah. But here's another game that I've added because there I am and I don't want to be the you know, the fun police where it's like, well, why mommy? You know, even my daughter, when they brought in like this, uh, cute little therapy service dog, she goes, don't worry, mom, I didn't pet it. And I was like, Oh no. <laughs> and it was like, the, you know, just a sweet doodle it was. And it's their, their mascot for the school. So I, I had to explain to her, you know, again, listen, mommy's a dog trainer. And of course I'm always going to be the most cautious because again, of what I see and what I know, but we're putting all this, um, trust into a person. And we don't know if they just rescued the dog. We don't know how long they've had the dog, if kids run up on it or anything. So instead, the game that I play with my kids is I say, what kind of breed of dog is it? Tell me something you like about the dog. Do you like its color? Do you like its coat? Do you like, and those are the things that I do. So now when we start walking by, Penelope's actually starting to identify certain breeds, which is awesome because she's six, but she's also like picking up on their body language and things of like that dog is with his owner and look, he's wagging his tail or that dog's really tired. He's laying underneath the table at the restaurant and he must be hot and tired. That's how I have my kids interact. And I'll tell you, it is a cultural difference here in the States that we think of dogs as like petting zoos. If you go to like Europe and you travel to these different countries, if I walked up to, you know, a woman with a dog at a cafe in Germany and I asked to pet her doodle, I would probably get a really big go to you know where look. I, I would because that is offensive to them. That is like walking up and asking like, hey, do you mind if your kid sits on my lap? Like that's weird. <laughs> yeah. That is weird. I love it. I actually like that you took it up a notch. So I guess I was I was only thinking it from my perspective and like leave me alone. Ask, don't jump into my face. But you're right. When yeah. it comes from the perspective of protecting your child, make it a non-thing. Like we just don't go up to strange dogs. <laughs> we don't, we don't do it. I can't believe the number of people who think it's okay to make kissing noises to a dog on leash. I'm like, do you want him to oh. pull me to you? Like, 
I know. Where is that? I don't, where does that come from? What are they thinking? I'm like, I'm just the leash holder. I'm not a human. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's a just, I think it's something within this culture that, you know, we all love our dogs. We all love them. Okay. And we all want to share that love. And especially when you get a social breed, but you know, you are expecting dogs. Some dogs don't want to be petting zoos. Some dogs like to just be with their owners and not have, you know, every stranger meet them. Imagine if I sat on the side of the road and everybody who walked by like rubbed my head. Right. Like, but we expect this of, of our dogs. And, you know, given the example that I did, I, I think you know, there is a balance of like having the dog be social and say hi, but it's not every single person you meet or, and especially with kids, it's, I wouldn't, if, if I had the friendliest dog ever and some toddler was walking up, I would just out of safety because I don't know, like, even though I know my dog's good with my kids and stuff like that, I just don't put myself in those situations. But again, I've, you know, the longer I do this, I'm like, oh boy, you know, the more I'm just, you see the getting, worst cases. Yeah, I do. Sure. I do. And that's been the hardest part of this project is just that. Mm-hmm. Well, Carrie, tell us where are you located and what is your business name? Okay. My business name is the Doghouse LLC. We're in Pinellas Park. What state is that? Oh, Pinellas Park, Florida. Oh. <laughs> yeah, sorry that about that. At all. <laughs> yeah. And then the Dogs to Diapers is the online course. It's available. It's broken down into sections, um, super practical. And that, you know, I encourage, even if you already have a baby or you have a toddler, still a ton of information you're going to get. Awesome. I will link to your website and the Dogs to Diapers website. Thank you so much for being here and sharing some of your knowledge with us. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Doodle Kisses podcast. If you have any ideas for future episodes or recommendations on topics or guests, send me an email at admin at doodlekisses.com. That's A-D-M-I-N at doodlekisses.com. Also, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, or however you get your podcasts. So you can have every episode ready to listen to as soon as it comes out. The show notes will link you to our GoFundMe page, as well as links to some of the things we discussed in today's episode. Talk to you next time on the next episode of the Doodle Kisses podcast.